Our speaker this morning is Pastor John Stumbo. It's a great privilege to introduce him. John is a graduate from Crown College as well as Columbia International University. He holds doctoral degrees from Simpson University and George Fox Evangelical Seminary. Uh, John and, and his wife, Joanna, have three children residing in Minneapolis, Denver, and, and California, so they're not right next door. Uh, but John understands uh, traveling. He was a pastor's kid. He grew up with a father who was a, a pastor in the Christian Missionary Alliance and then went on to be a leader in our, our, our denomination. Uh, John and his wife were planning on going overseas, but after many years of preparation, God let him know that, no, I have... You here. I want to use you here. And so he's pastored several churches for the Alliance. His first church was really in the wonderful state of Pennsylvania. Um, then he ended up pastoring probably our flagship church in stateside in the Alliance, Salem Alliance Church in Salem, Oregon. Uh, again, John has got his, his book table out in the Narthex. Uh, again, please don't feel anything about the, the finances deal. His heart is that you just take one. Uh, if, in fact, what he will share in a moment will um, pick your curiosity and maybe the spirit would use it. Uh, John, I just want to say thanks again. The Bible conference was great. And so if you give a welcome to Pastor John Stumbo as he comes to share. Good morning, church. It's good to see you today. I've had a good weekend in Erie, and um, I've been invited to share my story this morning. Now you're you're wondering who is this guy that's got a voice like red green, and and uh, why is he here? Well, well, the why is I, I get to share my story, but when the morning's done, I'm really not concerned whether you know my story or not. I'm way more concerned about. The fact that you will see how God is writing a good story in your life. The connection between human experience is significant, and God has been using this story to help people turn from me to have a time between you and Him, how the work that He's doing in your life right now. So I'm glad to be here. I'd love it if you take your Bible and turn to Psalm 74. I want to anchor my thoughts today in one of the Psalms, Psalm 74. <laughs> See if you've asked God any of these questions. 74th Psalm, starting in verse 1. Thanks for following along. 74.1 Why have you rejected us forever? <laughs> Oh God, why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? Have you ever asked God those kind of questions? That's quite the way to start a worship song, isn't it? <laughs> they sang these things, you know. Um, the context here, what's happening in this psalm, the reason that the songwriter wrote this was because something sacred had been attacked. Specifically in this psalm, the temple had been attacked by a foreign army and they had come in with hatchets and axes and torches and had completely decimated that holy place that had been God's temple. Well, we don't have that kind of situation happening here today, thankfully, but I must say that today, Erie, Pennsylvania, First Lines Church, this room, something sacred is under attack. 
I don't know what it might be in your particular life, a marriage that is under attack right now, a relationship with somebody that you hold very dear and, and it's really strained right now, the holy place of your own soul emotionally, you're just like getting hammered, the axes are hammering. Physical, your physical body. I don't know what your finances, unemployment. I don't know what your issue is right now, but I know that attacks continue for today. And this psalm was written in the midst of that kind of setting. So, so look at what he says. Look at verse 9. Verse 9, we are given no miraculous signs. No prophets are left. And none of us, none of us knows how long this will be. God, why aren't you doing the God stuff? Verse 10, how long? Will the enemy mock you, O God? Will the foe revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand, like the strong one? Take it from the folds of your garment and destroy them. God, God, would you get your hands out of your pockets and do something for us, please? You're not the first that has asked those kind of questions. We read the Bible too fast, very often. Notice the huge transition in verse 12. You're flying along, he's complaining, he's arguing, and you get to verse 12, but that's not the whole story. Verse 12, but you, O God, you are my king from of old. You bring salvation upon the earth. God, I I, I don't understand. I don't see you. I can't figure it out. I don't know how long it's going to be. I don't see any prophetic signs. I don't see any miraculous signs. I don't see anything but... But I know this. This is how much I know. I have a God. <laughs> that has not changed. I don't see you. I don't understand you. We talked about it at the Bible conference this week. God reserves the right to be mysterious. <laughs> we won't always understand him, but, but this psalmist, this song is claiming, okay, I can't find you, can't see you, but I know I've still got you. <laughs> I have a God. And then he goes back and he replays some history. And he, in a poetic kind of way, he talks about how God had delivered them from Egypt. But then you get to verse 15. Would you look at 15 with me? It was you who opened up springs and streams. Now, we like that, you know, water flowing, abundance, harvest, that kind of picture. It was you who opened up springs and streams. You really dried up the ever-flowing rivers. Huh. He's the God of abundance and drought. Really? Verse 16. The day is yours. Well, we like that. Sure. Yours also the night. You established the sun and moon. It was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. You made both summer and all those who live in Erie, Pennsylvania, winter. (laughs) Isn't this interesting? You see, a whole lot of American Christianity today is represented by the God of the day only. Some, some American Christianity will, will happily celebrate that he's the God of abundance, the God of the day, the God of prosperity, the God of health. And I want to rejoice with him. He is. He is. He is. He's the God who does sweet things, beautiful miracles in our lives. He is the God of, of, of pros, uh, who, who prospers us. But, 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 that's only half the story. That's only part of the gospel. This psalm and many other places in Scripture clearly teach us that he's the God of the drought as well, and the night, and the moon, and the winter. As we said at the conference, our God knows his way through the dark. 
With those thoughts as a foundation, I want to start my story in October of 2008, just about four years ago now. My wife and I, Joanna and I, were living in Salem, Oregon, uh, where I was, as as has been mentioned, a pastor of of the church. If we can go to the slides, please. Um, Joanna and I were living in Salem and uh, had been married 27 years at this time. We were the happy parents. We are the happy parents of three children. Um, Can you give me a signal whether we're going to have the slides? The computer's been like needing coffee all day or something. It's just been sluggish and slow, and and, then there's been a been a struggle for our friend who's uh, managed it very well. So she's trying. So so anyway, uh, we had three children, and uh, my daughter got me involved in this crazy sport of long-distance running. Uh, I had never run, you know, I played basketball or whatever, but I had never run. Why, why would you bother running unless a ball was involved, you know? Besides, all those guys out there with their little shorts and colorful suits, like, no, 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 thanks, but... <laughs> but but Oregon has these gorgeous trails, and uh, on Saturday mornings, my daughter and I would would go out and and first day three miles, and then we'd push each other a little bit, then four, then five, then six. We I, I said to her one day, "Honey, we're we're halfway to a half half marathon," and, and so. Um, it was at that time she got discovered. She didn't know that she was a great athlete. Nobody knew she was a great athlete. She never competed athletically in her life. But she went on to become an All-American. And uh, I went on to do this crazy thing called ultramarathons. Ultramarathons are races for guys too stupid to stop at 26 miles. So we just keep going. Uh, 50Ks, 60Ks uh, up and down the, the mountains of, of Oregon. Um, Mountain climbing was a love. Fishing's been a love. And, uh, and I, I tell you those things uh, not to talk so much about my past, but just to say that I was living an active life. Uh, never spent a day in the hospital other than birth. My mother's 93. I've got great genetics. She's living on her own, canning applesauce and raking the leaves in her yard. And... Um, uh, so good genetics, healthy habits, especially if you include ice cream as one of the basic food groups. <laughs> and uh, no reason to be concerned about anything. Had medical checkups, which, which were all fine and good. Um, October 18th, 2008. Notice I had a little rash. I had run 10 miles that morning for a leisurely workout with friends. And uh, notice I had a little rash. Blamed my wife. Uh, sorry, uh, figured she must have changed the laundry detergent on me. She hadn't. Um, then uh, next day, it felt like I might be getting the flu. Day three, my arms swelled up. I looked like Popeye, but they were worthless. I could hardly brush my teeth. By day five, it had gone down to my legs. I could hardly walk a few blocks. By day seven, I lost my ability to drive. Uh, physically could not uh, dare, would not dare get behind a wheel. Whatever was hitting me was attacking my muscular system and was hitting me very hard and fast. Well, uh, you know, ask for prayer and go to the doctor. <laughs> and so they start running tests, um, and I'm anointed by, with oil from the elders of the church, but uh, nothing seems to be changing other than for the worse. I was eventually hospitalized, 
And as my body was shutting down, my system shutting down, one of my last conscious thoughts was of a doctor standing next to my bedside with my chart in his hand and saying to me, I've never seen somebody with blood levels so messed up and still be alive. And I'm laying there thinking, see, I'm, I'm, I'm healthy. I'm beating this thing. Well, I would spend the next five days uh, completely uh, unconscious. Uh, my body, my system shutting down. They had to intubate me, you know, uh, keep me uh, breathing. And, and uh, I wasn't aware of all that. Um, the church, unknown to me, the word went out by email, pastors dying. Uh, they gathered uh, for an almost instant prayer meeting. A thousand people showed up at Salem Alliance and prayed for me. My children and family members came in from all over the country. And... Um, did we show all those slides already? Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So that's good. No, that's fine. No, that's, that's fine. If, if you've seen them, you've seen them. I, you, know, you didn't come to church to see a guy in a hospital bed, so that's fine. I'm just glad to know you're back on. Congratulations. <laughs> give, that, give that computer more copies. <laughs> um, my first conscious thoughts after five days, I opened my eyes uh, like the aperture of a camera. They slowly opened and I thought, Minnesota, Montana, oh boy, they've come from all over to stand by my bedside. I must really be sick. And um, numerous times throughout the next weeks, my wife would be uh, called back into the room because I wasn't responding. Uh, and as I, shared with the, as I shared with the group this weekend, it is a really sweet thing to be on your deathbed and for death to be the least of your worries. I kept playing through this scenario in my head. Uh, well, if this happens, that happens, that happens, I'll die. And if I die, oh, I'll be with Jesus. Uh, another bad scenario. Oh, if that happens and that'll happen, I'll die. And if I die, I'll be with Jesus. No matter what bad scenario I could come up with, I always ended up with Jesus. Now, how good is that? Death really, frankly, wasn't a concern, but living, on the other hand, uh, was concerning. I asked Joanna one day, why'd they tie me down? I'm not going to try to escape. Why'd they tie me down? She said, what do you mean? They haven't tied you down. I didn't realize that the profound muscle weakness that had now hit me and the, uh, had, had caused now that I literally could not you know, do any movement. I, I, I could just blink and... And when I wasn't intubated, I could speak. Other than that, I was uh, uh, just laying there with uh, plenty of time to think. Um, then came the days of hallucinations. That was a trip. <laughs> those tap dancers on the wall, they were cool. You would have liked those guys. <laughs> but the fish swimming in the curtains were rather concerning. Black fish about this big in those... Privacy curtains? Yeah, right, right, right. Anyway, fists were swimming in those curtains. And uh, if one of them bit you, it was no big deal. But if two of them bit you at the same time, you died. And I really didn't mind dying, but I didn't want to die by fist bite. <clears throat> Their weakness, however, was that if you squeeze them, they'd pop. And I wanted my son, Drew, six foot one, 200 pounds. I wanted him to come because I knew he'd be a good fist popper. <laughs> you know the difference between a bad dream and a hallucination? A bad dream, you wake up and you say, whew, that was bad, glad that's over. Hallucination, you wake up and say, honey, we got to do something about this. <laughs> do you know who those nurses are? Those nurses, 
This is serious. They have been imported from an Eastern European nation as an effort to take over the United States of America by way of nurses that have human upper bodies and styrofoam lower bodies. <laughs> I was really envious of them, by the way, as a long-distance runner. Cool. They wouldn't have to nourish half of their body. Great invention. How do I get one of those? But, but we got to watch out for them. And what are they pouring down my back? And then I just had all, I had like 15, 20 of these hallucinations. Uh, uh, after 77 days in the hospital, I was released uh, with the words from the top research hospital in the Pacific Northwest, you've stumped us all. They ran over 100 tests in my body, two muscle biopsies, skin biopsies, spinal tap, various uh, blood tests of all kinds, sent my blood and body parts all over the United States of America trying to figure out what was wrong with me and, and uh, never could. Uh, which drives some people crazy, by the way. <laughs> uh, you mean, they never figured it out? What's wrong? Well, time out, time out. Can we, as followers of Christ, give the medical community a little break that the rest of the world can't give? Here's why I say it. If you are not a follower of Christ and you have a health crisis, then the medical community is your last and best hope. And if they can't figure it out, push harder, demand more, press, whatever. But that's, that's all you've got if you're not a follower of Christ. But if you happen to have a God, a Lord, a leader, a shepherd, a great physician, and your medical community is like, we don't know, no problem. Because my great physician, the one who designed me, made me, loves me, lives in me, and will come again for me someday, he knows exactly what's going on in my situation. So if these guys can't figure it out, I can give them a little bit of a break because my ultimate hope isn't in them, it's in him. And some doctor... (laughs) And some doctor out there can thank me later, okay? (laughs) uh, Anyway, I can get into stories, but... Um, so 77 days in hospital, I'm released uh, without diagnosis, and I'm released at 140 pounds. I went in at 190. That was my weight for years. I ballooned to 260 in one of those photos you saw because of fluid retention. My body didn't know what to do with any nutrients or anything. 190 to 260 to 140. And so we have a photo of the wheelchair. Uh, as I'm released in the hospital, and I'm released with the world's most gracious nurse, my wife. She was never trained as a nurse, never wanted to be a nurse, although she did say I'd rather be a nurse than a widow. <laughs> and uh, not to make light of that, I'm sorry, um, but um, she, she cared for me in ways that she never imagined she'd have to. When she said her vows 26 years earlier in Lions Church in Minnesota, she had no clue what she was saying when she said for better or for worse in sickness and in health. But she took those vows seriously. And I'm indebted to her for that. And I'm thankful for every person in this room who is a caregiver or has been at some point in your life. You've had an aging parent. You've had a child who could not fully uh, adequately care for themselves. You've had some sort of family relationship or some caregiving relationship. And you have given somebody a quality of life that they could have never attained on their own. You've done things for them that are awkward and hard and difficult. And 
not to be mentioned in public setting like this, but I bless you. I thank you. You're an underappreciated segment of this society, but I bless you for the hours, some of you, years, maybe even decades of caring for someone who could not care for themselves. Blessed are the caregivers, for in them we have seen the Christ. Thank you. Well, you'll hear in this story that the medical community was of some help to me, but I also had to take some responsibility for myself. As the next photo shows, I've got a one-pound dumbbell in my hand as I start into physical therapy. I used to bench press 225 with my son. Now I got a dog biscuit in my hand. It's like, <laughs> but it was a workout. It was a workout. See, in this story, I hope that one thing that you hear is we do need to make ourselves available to whatever resource or, or to use whatever resources are available to us. <laughs> The paths of prayer. Put yourself in the path of prayer. Seek prayer. Use whatever medical attention is, is wisely available. But, but we can't just throw all of our life onto the shoulders of others. We, we have personal responsibility as well. There are some things that only you can do for yourself. And, and you can't live forever trying to get somebody to do for you what you really can do for yourself. And, and so physical therapy was, was part of that for me. <laughs> You'll also hear in this story that there are some things that only God can do. Now, yes, he's over all and through all and in all and under all. Yes, yes, but from a human perspective, um, we need the help of others. But they can only do so much. We need to take responsibility for our lives. But ultimately, we need God. So, start back into physical therapy. But the thing that I didn't realize is I would be released from the hospital without the ability to eat. I was placed on a feeding tube, uh, inserted surgically, uh, and they give you a syringe, and then they give you cases of two words which should never be put together. Medical food. <laughs> and seven cans of that for, you know, two cans for breakfast, three for lunch, two for dinner. That was, that was those were my meals. Hydration, medication. If it didn't go through the tube, it didn't get in the body. That was, that was the only way. You'll notice uh, uh, in this photo that I have paper towels next to me. reason for that <laughs> is when I say I couldn't swallow, I mean I couldn't swallow. That includes saliva. Do you realize you get that saliva out of your mouth? Which, as I said in first service, you are now awkwardly aware of. Sorry. <laughs> uh, to get that saliva out of your mouth and down into your stomach is um, fabulous synchronization of dozens of nerves and muscles that have to work in perfect cooperation for, for your epiglottis to come down, your esophagus to open, for your windpipe to close, for this all to work. You even got a hyoid bone thrown in there by the Creator for good measure. And, 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 and this all has to work perfectly for you to be able to swallow, which you do hundreds of times a day without even thinking about it. But it's, it, when a Mayo Clinic doctor explained to me how the swallow worked, it was a worship moment for me. Our Creator is amazing, amazing. But mine had completely ceased to function. The muscle attack had hit me from forehead to toe, and all of these muscles had completely ceased to function. So I lived spinning. Uh, you continue to generate saliva, and what are you going to do with it? How did your pastor die? Oh, he drowned in his own saliva. 
that's happy. <laughs> so I had to spit. Spit rags, spit towels, paper towels, spit cups. You want to be careful when you rode with us in the car. Joanna's Diet Coke in one cup holder, my spit cup in the other cup holder. You don't want to get those mixed up. <laughs> I hated it. 2009, the entire year of 2009, hated it. Uh, my wife would have to rip off 15 paper towels, put them on each side of my pillow, because uh, continuing to generate saliva in the night. So day and night, spit, spit, spit. I became an expert on all things related to saliva and spit. I hated it. It felt gross. It was embarrassing in public, always having spit rags or something with me that I'd have to, you know, do, do the spit thing. Um, <clears throat> didn't eat a single bite of food, didn't drink a single drop of water in 2009, and it was hard. <laughs> um, now, I'm a person of faith as I enter into this. I've been a follower of Christ. I've been a pastor. And now, you know, life is uh, taking a turn that I didn't see coming. And it came fast. And it came hard. And it's left me debilitated. And I have to step down from my position at church. I can't, I can't function. I can't lead. I can barely speak. Where is God when life suddenly looks upside down. Well, we, we looked at verses that said he's the God of the day and the night. But to be the God of the night sometimes means that we have to go through the dark night of the soul. I'm aware that some of you are in 2009 right now. I don't know what your story is. I don't, I don't, I don't know anything about it. But... But I'm aware that, that faith is, is a challenge. And, and, and I'll, I'll say to you that almost every day I continued my lifetime habit of picking up this word and, and spending some time in this word. But I also say to you something you haven't heard a pastor say, that in 2009, this felt like sandpaper. It felt to my soul. It felt irritating, abrasive. All those miracles, all those happy things happening, I wasn't seeing in my life. It was just hard. The other thing that was hard was going to church. <laughs> I used to be the pastor up front. Now I'm in the wheelchair section in the back with, by the way, people who are way too happy. <laughs> What's wrong with these people? You're in a wheelchair and you're singing praise to Jesus. What's wrong with you? <laughs> it was so hard just to get to church, first of all, for my wife to get me in the wheelchair, get me into the van, get the wheelchair in the van, get me into the van, get to church, get me to get the wheelchair out. You know, the whole deal. And then have all these people that so many of them don't know how to handle it, you know, and... Oh. Friend, when you want to be with people the least, you probably need them the most. Do not give in to the temptation in the midst of your crisis to isolate. You're hurting, and you don't want to show up in church. You don't want to show up in your small group. You don't want to answer the phone from the friend. Friend, please keep leaning into community even when you don't feel like it's benefiting you or you don't like the inane comments they're making or whatever. Please, 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 lean in. Don't lean away from community when you're in crisis. When you need people the most, you may want to be with them the least. Now, doesn't mean 24 hours a day all the time. You've got to have people around you, you know, and you're just trying to suck the life out of them. I'm not, I'm not saying that. You've got responsibility for your own journey, but... Please, one of the resources God has made available to us in crisis is community. Please keep leaning in.
One thing that I wrestled with in 2009 in regards to faith was, was just, what's happened? How did I get here? And I had a friend that would call me up once in a while and say, Dude, you were run over by a truck. You were just going along and wham, you were nailed. And, and he was being sympathetic, he was being encouraging, and, and it was okay for the first time or two. But after a year of that, it was like, that was my mental image. You know, that was my picture in my head, that I was roadkill. Well, your, 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 your metaphor, your word picture can be accurate, but not helpful. <laughs> Uh, and and so uh, and the other another one was of um, being hit in the head with a baseball bat. Uh, when I played ball as a boy, I, I loved baseball, but I, I never wanted to play catcher, and I never admitted why I didn't want to play catcher. But the secret reason was I was afraid to get hit in the head with a bat. So uh, give me first base, give me outfield, I'll be fine. But um, but now I had this mental image of I was hit in the head with a bat. It's finally happened. God, I would pray, I, I, I need a different metaphor. I need a different picture. It didn't happen in hours. It didn't happen in days. It was weeks or months. When one day, just out of nowhere, I, I got an image inside my mind. It was very quick, but it was very powerful. I saw hands. The clay pot was on a wheel. The hands were damp, the clay was, the, the pot was spinning, and it looked like a really nice pot to me. I like that pot. Those hands, still damp, wheels still spinning, went whoosh, right back down to the base. He didn't pick up the clay, throw it away. The wheel was still spinning, the clay was still on the wheel, the hands were still damp, he was still working the clay, but he had started over. God? Is that what's happened? Then I'm in. But but I like that old pot. I like that. I like I like my old life. I, I like to run. I like to do what I used to do. I like. But if you're starting over, I'm in. Two thousand nine comes to an end. Uh, I have received one medical thing that is a benefit to me. Those of you who donate plasma or blood, I get a spin-off of that through an IV slow drip treatment once in a while. And they, they, uh, they just confess. They really don't know what in that is helping me, but my body's not producing something that it provides. And so I, I received that. And in so doing, I went from the wheelchair to a walker to a cane. And as significantly for me, I went from the passenger seat back to the driver's seat. <laughs> Can I get some sympathy from the men in this room? <laughs> Actually... Actually, ladies, it's, it's you that, you know, my, my, my poor wife, she doesn't like to drive in the first place, and I'm not just a backseat driver, I'm an every-seat driver, and so it's like bad scenario, but great marriage bonding can take place for a year in the... <laughs> I'm in the passenger seat one day in Salem, Oregon, we're at a stoplight, our Dodge Caravan, summer day, window down, big red truck pulls up next to us, boom, 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 boom. This guy looks down from the window in his driver's seat, down at me in the passenger seat, and says, Dude! You're in the wrong seat, man. Get over there where you belong. It's like, oh, you're killing me, you redneck. You know, it's like, oh. But 2010 came along, and I'm back. I'm able to drive again. Um, and we decided to go on a road trip. Our son, Josiah, middle son, was graduating from high school. 
excuse me, was graduated from college, from Crown College in Minneapolis area. And uh, we decided to go from Oregon to Minnesota on a road trip by way of Tennessee <laughs> and uh, make a real road trip out of it. We wanted to thank people who had prayed for us along the way. Uh, and so we stopped in Colorado Springs, thanks to people there, a sweet church in Denver stopped there, got on to Hayes, Kansas, nothing to report there, got on to, <laughs> got on to St. Louis, Missouri, and in St. Louis, uh, we checked in in a hotel room and then went out and my wife bought me a McDonald's ice cream sundae. Now, why would she do that? You can't swallow a single thing. It's been 18 months, I haven't been able to swallow. Um, four times they've ran tests on my body to verify what was already very obvious, that my swallow was completely non-functioning. Two of those tests are by way of a little camera they have on the end of a flexible hose that the ENT uh, doctor uh, likes to give you a guided tour of places you never wanted to see. And uh, you get to watch it all on the, on, the, on the TV screen in front of you as he runs his hose up your nose. Uh, he, he went to do it, and I flinched a little bit, and he said, oh, I do this to five-year-olds, you'll be fine which is doctor speak for man up, buddy. <laughs> and, um, so he runs a hose up the nose, back down to the throat, and he says, oh, you don't have injury and you don't have cancer. Actually, that's bad news. I could fix those things. What you have is inoperable in both senses of the word. There is no operation that can be done to fix it, and it's completely non-functioning. Behind my back, unknown to me, my medical community in Salem had had the conversation that's unlikely that Stumble will ever swallow again because he's in such an atrophied condition that's been so long uh, that's very unlikely it'll ever, ever come back. I was, however, doing what's called recreational eating. <laughs> um, I want to be careful as I talk about this because um, it, it's both gross and dangerous. And so if you know somebody who's got dysphagia, the inability to swallow, you want to be cautious as you talk about this or tell the story. But but um, I had reached a point where I was to keep the brain from going completely crazy for lack of taste of food and to keep the muscles from completely atrophying for lack of putting anything in your mouth. I would suck or chew on something for a little bit once a day and then spit it into the spit cup and then flush it in the toilet. I didn't do it in public. It's, it's a gross thing to do. But once a day, that's what I would do. So Joanna buys me the ice cream sundae for my one, you know, treat uh, for the day. And in privacy, I suck. It sits right there, that cold of that ice cream. I spit it back out before it goes in the lungs because the doctors really don't like it when you suck sundaes into your lungs, you know. <laughs> and so that's the reason that the whole thing's dangerous because your windpipe stays open. It goes in the lungs. Not good, not good. And uh, so... My caution in talking about it. But that's what I was doing. And um, she bought me that Sunday. 100% of it went to that cup. 100% of it went down the toilet. And uh, got up the next morning and was having my devotions. I told you in 2009, the 12th abrasive, by 2010, the sweetness of the Spirit was, was back to my soul. And I was, work, I was working my way through the Psalms. And I was in Psalm 108 in St. Louis, Missouri, sitting at a desk, having breakfast. I was... Pouring stuff down my tube and uh, reading Psalm 108 that says, The help of man is worthless. <laughs> now, I thought that was kind of fun because the medical community had only been able to do so much for me. We will act valiantly. Ah, there it is again in Scripture. I've got my part to do. But victory comes from the Lord. Fascinating. I'm seeing it all over the place. 
Use whatever help you can get, but don't expect too much out of them. You've got your part to do, but victory comes from the Lord. So I'm, I'm thinking about those words, and, and I look down, and my feeding tube is stuck. Now, this is no big deal. That syringe that you saw in the photo, well, you know, they give you a plunger that goes with that syringe because if, if something gets a little clogged up inside the system, it's not a big deal. You take the plunger, you push in the syringe gently, and, and you, you push it down through, and it's kind of like power washing your stomach. It's not a big deal. Just push in, and, and, and we're good. So I went to do that, and it wouldn't go. And it's like, well, I'm weak. I can hardly open my, I'm, you know, my muscles are so atrophied, I can hardly open a chapstick. So, you know, it's no surprise I can't do this. So I stand up with the plunger, the syringe, and lean against the hotel room wall. <laughs> can't get it to go. Sit back down in the chair, wait for my wife to come back in the room. She comes back. I say, honey, my tube's stuck. No problem. She comes over to help me, pushes on it, and her surprise, it doesn't budge. Now, we are half a nation away from my medical community. And this is my sole source of hydration, medication, nutrition. If it doesn't go in through here, it doesn't get in the body. I die without this. <laughs> Honey, you just got to push as hard as you can. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm in one of those roller chairs they have at desks. There's a sliding glass door behind me in this hotel room. And I'm thinking, and my wife is leaning over me, her muscles quivering. She is pushing on this plunger so hard. And I'm thinking, oh boy, if this thing blows, it's going to blow me right out that door. <laughs> it didn't go. She couldn't get it. It was stuck. My feeding tube was completely inoperable. Pack up our room, check out the hotel, stand in the parking lot, and pray. But I confess to you that our faith was so, so thin at that time that the prayer was basically, really? <laughs> Texted my family, feeding tube stuck. If God doesn't heal me today, I have to go to an emergency room. Family texted my sister in Indiana that I was going to see in a few days. My sister, who is a great cook. My sister, whose specialty is cheesecake. Cheesecake being one of my favorite things. My sister texted back from Indiana and said, what can we do? In my spirit, I promise you, the answer was, tell her to bake a cheesecake. <laughs> my logical answer was, I'm not going to tell her to bake a cheesecake. I'm not going to recreationally eat my sister's cheesecake and spit it into her toilet. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I believe that that moment, the Spirit of God was trying to generate faith within me and that I was too stubborn to receive it. I texted back the Christian answer, pray. Got in the car, started driving down the road, I-64, through Illinois. Illinois has not been favored with the beauty that Pennsylvania has. <laughs> and so I thought, well, as I drive, maybe I'll just do a little recreational snacking. Now, we had some yogurt in the back of the car that was going to spoil before the day was over, and two little four-ounce red raspberry Yoplait yogurt cups. I asked Joanna, you know, if she'd grab me that yogurt, I'd just suck on it, spit it in the spit cup, and then defile some Walmart parking lot somewhere, you know, whatever. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so I, I turned to ask Joanna for the yogurt, and I look over, and she's like Hannah in 1 Samuel. She is praying, but silently with tears streaming down her face, calling out to God again for me. We're weary. This is 18 months. We're tired. She reaches over, puts her hand on my throat, as she's done many times before, prays. I don't sense anything. She gives me one of those yogurt containers, so I'm driving. 
She's being spiritual. I'm just snacking. <laughs> I'm sucking on tiny little bits of this yogurt. And the verse from the morning comes back to me. Psalm 108. Part of the power of starting the day in the Word. To help a man is worthless. Ah, yeah, Lord. I've only been able to do so much. We will act valiantly. What's, well, what's my part, God? Don't spit. What do you mean, don't spit? I've just spit. Don't spit. Okay. But victory comes from the Lord. I'm thinking about that. I'm sucking on this yogurt. 30 miles later, I turn to Joanna and I say, look at this. The yogurt container has gone down one spoonful. Now, she says, so? I say, I haven't spit yet. Now, I've got jowls, pockets, cheeks. I've got places you can hide, you know, a gallon of yogurt, you know. So, so I, you know, I, wasn't, I wasn't sensing it. Or, but, but faith was starting to... Here was the question. Could it be? Could it be that on the day, that the only day that my feeding tube is completely inoperable, that that would be the day when we're half a nation away from my doctors, when we're alone in the privacy of this car on a stretch of hot freeway where we don't know a single soul? Would, would it be possible to be this day that God would heal me? <laughs> we start claiming the names of Jesus. We just Any name of Jesus we can think of. We start singing an old song about the names of Jesus that I don't really like that well. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And, and we started singing that together. And, 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 and I... <laughs> um, and she reaches over again. And, and puts her hand on my throat. It's something she's done many times through the last 18 months. And now I feel the tiniest little twinge of, of something. And then I do that which the medical community says, like, no, no, not liquid. You don't, because liquid, what does that do? It just goes straight in the lungs. But I take a sip of orange juice. And I feel that orange juice go all the way down. And then I feel this teeny-weeny burp come all the way back up. Life was returning to the system. Oh, goodness, this is amazing, this is amazing. We stop at a Casey's gas station. Grayville, Illinois. Get out of the car, and Joanne and I hold each other in the parking lot. There was nobody around in Grayville that morning. Maybe there's nobody ever around in Grayville, I don't know. <laughs> we held each other in the parking lot, and we declared it, greater is he that is in me than the disease that attacks me. Greater is he that is in me than the one that opposes me. And I took that spit cup that I traveled with all those miles and I threw it away and never had to use it again. <laughs> That's what 140 pounds looks like on a six foot one guy. <laughs> I, I uh, hadn't gained a single pound on that feeding tube formula through the years, uh, through the year and a half. But I had, I had nine cases of that. I didn't tell you this. I had nine cases of formula with us in the car because that's what it would take to live on for this trip. But I took that cup that I traveled with so far, threw it away, got back in the car. Now Joanna's driving because I got work to do. I'm, I'm, I got more yogurt to finish off. <laughs> These little muscles, God was bringing life to them, but they hadn't been used for a year and a half, so they had like atrophied down to nothing. So I'm like giving these guys a jolt of, hey, wake up, boys. We got work to do. And so I'm working on this yogurt. Do you know, do you know that there's plastic at the bottom of those containers? I was looking, I hadn't, I hadn't eaten since the Bush administration, friends. And I was seeing plastic down there. We were so excited, we pulled over to rest up, jumped out of the car, gave our camera to the first guy walking by, told him to take a picture of us. He's still wondering, why did I take a picture of this couple with cheesy smiles and a Yoplait cup? What was that about? We never told him. We were just so happy. We jumped back in the car. Next stop, Wendy's. 
about the biggest frosty they'd sell me. The night before, the cold of that ice cream sat right there. Now I felt the cold of that ice cream or whatever it is go all the way down. It took me four hours to drink that frosty, but I wasn't a marathon runner for nothing. We persevered through these things. Got to our hotel room that night in Tennessee. Had a bowl of chili to finish the day off. <laughs> go big or go home, right? Right? <laughs> the sweetest for me was waking up the next morning without a single spit rig, spit towel, spit cup, spit cloth, anything next to me. I had slept through the entire night for the first time in 18 months. Thank you, Jesus. Forty pounds later, and two years later, I'm here to thank you for those who prayed. I'm here to give glory to God. It drives me absolutely crazy. It does. I, this story comes out. Uh, I'm getting my hair cut and the lady gets talkative and asks me my story and I tell the story and, and she refuses any credit to God and she says, well, it just goes to show that a miracle happens every day. I'm getting my feeding tube out, removed. They don't get to do this very often, like to remove it permanently, you know? And, and I get my feeding tube removed and the male nurse, refusing any credit to God that I'm trying to give, says, well, the body has a wonderful ability to heal itself, doesn't it? I'm on an airplane next to a guy who's very talkative. The story comes out and he says, well, you've overcome quite an obstacle, haven't you? And my spirit sinks in all those conversations. Yes, I've overcome an obstacle, but, but that's not the point. Yes, yes, a miracle happens every day, but where does that miracle come from? Yes, the body has an amazing ability to heal itself, but who gave it that ability? Friends, friends, they won't give glory to God, but will you? So I want to come back in my final words to those who are in 2009 in your own life. Because I believe that the enemy wants to bring a lie to us when we're in the middle of a crisis. And the lie is something like this. You're stuck. You're trapped. You're doomed. It's never going to get any better. Your present situation is your permanent situation. You're always going to feel this way. You might as well give up on God for sure and might as well give up on life altogether because you're never going to get any better. It's never going to be any different. And friend, my announcement to you today is simply this. As long as you have God, you have hope. And you will always have God. (laughs) So I believe that with our God, who is the God of the day and the night, the drought and the abundance, I believe that God will either change you in your circumstance change the circumstance itself or both but what he will not do is just leave you floating down some river of destruction without any aid or or comfort or protection or lessons or intervention no 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 as long as you have god you have hope and you always have god and he is the god who's always at work on our behalf but sometimes he's at work on our behalf in very mysterious unseen ways please do not put an expiration date on your prayers You've come, you've had the elders pray for you, you've walked away, you didn't feel any different. Like circumstantially, you didn't feel any sudden change. 
And so, oh, well, I guess that didn't work. Wait a minute. Prayers of faith have been spoken. You don't know what is happening in the spiritual world. You don't know what is happening in heaven. You don't even know what's happening in your own soul of the timing of God. Sometimes God reveals his sovereignty through timing. I am so happy. The entire Christian Missionary Alliance Council, 2,000 pastors and missionaries, gathered together and at their conference in 2009. They prayed in unison for me. It was one of the worst nights of my life. (laughs) I'm getting all this prayer and I'm not feeling any of it. Do not put an expiration date on prayer. Just because you don't experience anything at the moment does not mean that God's not doing anything. (laughs) He's the God who answers old prayers as well as he's the God who answers current prayers. Faith is hanging on to God, not only to believe for a miracle, that's good, but faith is hanging on to God when no miracle is in sight. Read Hebrews 11, study it carefully, get to verse 35, and after a long list of all these great miracles, you get a transition in the middle of verse that said others were tortured and refused to be released. They faced flogging and stoning and were sawed in two. None of them received it and been promised. Wait a minute. The faith chapter of the Bible ends by saying a certain category of these people didn't receive anything that they'd been promised. But they're in the faith chapter. Why? Because they hung on to God when God was confusing the daylights out of them. Both kinds of faith are valuable.